0: Being aware that decisions are being made around you that impact your life and the life of others, and that if you are not going to engage in influencing those decisions, then your future is going to be created by someone other than you.
1: That's former Seattle City Council member Nick Licata. If you're interested in having your voice heard or having your voice heard in city hall, state politics, or even national politics, Nick has seven steps for you to consider and how you can become much more effective. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. How can you make a difference? Again, Nick will be talking about that He is the right person to be here. He is a former member of the Seattle City Council. He served in that capacity for 18 years before he voluntarily stepped down. I can go into great detail about his background, but I'll just suggest if you want to find out more about Nick and his career, all you need to do is Google Nick Licata, and that's Nick, N-I-C-K, Licata, L-I-C-A-T-A. Also today, we have Tom Casey. If you're an executive and are approaching, let's say, the next chapter in your life, some people may call that retirement, and you've had a high-powered job for many times, what Tom finds with many people, they don't stop and pause and think, let's say in time, really, to help them out in their next transition. So uh, Tom started a company a while ago, and it's called, he's the co-founder of Discussion Partner Collaborative. And what they do is really coach high-powered executives to find that next career and that next step that they want to make. Maybe it's volunteer work. Maybe it's serving on boards. But his advice is to really think about that. And he's saying don't retire without a plan. Very important to do that. He wrote a book called Executive Transitions 2. We'll talk about that with Tom Casey coming up in just a few moments. Also, Erin Poses, she's the founder of a company called Cascade Hygiene. Doesn't sound very sexy, but it's a mobile dental cleaning service. She started it in um, the Peninsula, Bremerton area, and she's been running that for uh, several years now. And again, she found something that wasn't being met, and she's come in and, and has made it into an enormous success. So she'll be joining us as well. A Voices of Experience is uh, aired here weekly. It's on right now, of course. You're listening to it and this broadcast will be repeated on Friday at 1.30. If you'd like to call me at any time about uh, any future show that you would like to discuss maybe or any ideas of topics you'd like me to address, you can call me at 206-459-5536. That's 206-459-5536. I know this is radio. I'm going to throw another phone number at you, but if you'd like to call, this show is live, and uh, comment on anything we're talking about today, you can call one 298 5569 That's one 298 5569 Back with my interview with Tom Casey in just a moment.
2: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
1: Tom Casey, founder of Discussion Partner Collaborative, a global executive advisory firm that he founded in 2007, is my guest. The firm helps executives think about what they should do with their lives before they leave their current position. Since this show focuses much of its attention on starting a small business, My first question to Tom was, do former executives make good entrepreneurs? I think that their potential for being successful is higher. And the reason I say that is I believe
2: that the discipline that made them successful in the first place is also contributes to, you know, they believe in relentless incrementalism. They don't get distracted if it's not working right from the get-go. They step back and they say, okay, well, why isn't it working? Okay, what are the lessons learned? What can I change? All right, I'm not saying that they don't fail. Where I find that people are failing is less on business than those people who want to be writers. Okay, that, (laughs) that, that doesn't have a high success rate so far, but the people who are starting businesses or... Alternatively, become heavy investors in somebody else's idea. They're tending to stick with it longer.
1: You just said something, relentless incrementalism. I have not heard that term, but I find it fascinating. Could you elaborate on that?
2: Relentless incrementalism is the way that we think about it. The term has been something we use in our our advisory work is have a plan have a reasonable expectation for achievement and have a backup if it's not working. But at the same time, don't lose sight of where you want to go. Just
1: make sure that you cover all of the steps on that journey from A to Z. What I hear the stereotype is that companies do not want older workers. Do you find that changing or do you find that's true at all? I find it changing because you can't outrun the demographics.
2: What I find is that the older population the companies want them to continue to be associated with them but possibly not in an employment capacity possibly as an advisor possibly as a consultant possibly as a board member so they they're in no rush to get the person out the door to make work make way for a younger worker they uh, may modify the relationship in some way that's one. Second is i think that the other issue here is most people As long as they continue to be healthy and maintain a level of vitality, the organizations respect that and want them to stay longer. What happens is it's a little bit different, Paul, because I think that what happens is that you get to these inflection point ages. For example, 50 would be one, 55 would be another, 60 would be another. And it's more along the lines of people, older people wanting to leave the workforce because they want to do something else. And they think if they stay too long doing where they are working, where they are and doing what they're doing, they're never going to get a chance to do it. So it's not necessarily an age bias that gets people going out as much as it is the desire to experiment on the part of the executive themselves. That is our experience with that age cohort, with that experience cohort. Now, as a general rule, do I think age is, is, any more or less respected than it was ten years ago. I think it's more respected for wisdom, but not necessarily for employment longevity in any company because they're worried about the demographics. You know, our generation boomers eighty seven million born, Generation X forty four million. They're concerned if they don't tap into that base of talent of people that they're not going to have the opportunity because the people they're going to be looking for were never born.
1: Interesting. The millennials, their population is close to the baby boomers. It's closer to the baby boomers. Right. Exactly. So I'm an executive and I'm coming to the end of my career as it is right now. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. What are the major takeaways that you can give me for going down this path? There would be four
2: lessons learned here. Figure out a way to stay edgy. Okay. If not, you're going to be unhappy second is have a plan make sure that you know what you want to do that goes more beyond ideation and make sure that plan is tactical third is be ambitious about what that plan could be don't settle for anything less you've already deserved an opportunity to to try an experiment and the fourth one surround yourself with people who will help you think through what you're doing and how you're doing it and give you good advice. There's all kinds of networking opportunities out there, executives you've worked with, associations, et cetera, that allow you to continue to test your ideas.
1: And something I read in your book is about executive coaching. Be wary.
2: Yeah, executive coaching as a service to clients and customers. Unfortunately, has devolved first off it's become very popular and it's just a magnificent way to help grow people obviously that's our company is all centered around it but there's not all there's no regulatory issue it's not like a doctor having to go to medical school there's no regulatory thing that says to be a good coach you have to do this and sometimes coaches think that their experience is the only answer. And oftentimes they're not staying edgy themselves and or they're staying too long. And that those are the types of things we suggest organizations think about a little bit more.
1: My thanks to Tom Casey, managing principal of Discussion Partner Collaborative, a global executive advisory firm. His advice is one that he took himself. Don't retire without a plan or your decision will suffer due to unavoidable uncertainties. Executive Transitions 2 is one of six books he has written on the subject of executive transitions. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, Tom Casey is my cousin from the great state of Massachusetts. If you would like to find out more about the services of Discussion Partner Collaborative, all you need to do is Google Discussion Partner. I attended something called the Edge Fund, and that is sponsored by Kitsap Bank and its small business competition, meaning that a number of businesses come together and they make a pitch for why they should get what is a $20,000 reward for giving the best pitch, I guess, lack of a better word. Think Shark Tank on a local level. One of the businesses that I saw was called Cascade Hygiene, and it's a mobile dental hygiene cleaning service. This doesn't sound like a sexy type of company that makes you want to jump out of your seat but to me these are the type of companies that succeed because they do two things one a niche is found and they solve a problem i want to get to that a little bit more after i talk to the owner and the starter of the company her name is Erin Potius, and uh let's just get right into it i asked her what does she do?
3: So I'm a dental hygienist, and I go around to assisted living facilities and places where people are unable to go to the dental office, and I provide dental care.
1: Okay, and what sort of dental care do you provide?
3: Mainly cleanings, fluoride treatments, you know, things where, you know, just basic maintenance things. If they can't get to the dental office and have just their routine maintenance, then there a lot of things can go wrong. That I can fix and help. What's
1: that uh, what could go wrong? I mean
3: Well, they can get periodontal disease, which is very bad because that can create a lot of bone loss where they can lose their teeth. And if you lose your teeth, then you are unable to eat well and then if you're not able to eat well your whole quality of life just goes down the drain really fast and it's really sad. So if you're if you don't have good oral care you just decline really, really rapidly. And it's very painful, and it can all be prevented. So it's Right. Really I, I can
1: appreciate yeah. that. I didn't mean to be light about that because yeah. it is. I have that yeah. issue. And Absolutely. And I go in like every four months now, and, and, right. and have to do that for sure. And it's made a big difference. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah. So are you one of the first to go out to the patients uh, yeah. who, what, in this area, the country, or what? Or-
3: so in the area, um, I started this because I had a, my grandpa. He used to live maybe about you know eight years ago in a assisted living facility. In Silverdale, and I would go and visit him, and he was not getting any oral care at all, and that was what I'd, I'm a dental hygienist. So I would see that, you know, I'd go in and I'd visit him, and I look in his mouth, you know, you, how can you not, you know, sure. and um, it just he was getting neglected and looked over, and I could see his, you know, health declining. So I just started um, coming in with my tools just on the side, and I was just cleaning his teeth, and he really started feeling better. He was eating better. It was like a pretty marked difference from just getting oral care, you know. So then uh, more people started seeing what was happening and they noticed he was improving and just word spread and people are like, "Oh, you know, I I need this." And that's it's kind of how it got going. So See, yeah, that's a nice. great
1: entrepreneur mindset where you, you know, saw a niche, yep,
3: yep. You saw a problem
1: and you right. said, "I'm going to step up and do something about this." How's your company doing? Really well. Really well. Her company is doing really well, and I'm not surprised. Two things again that she did she found a niche and she's solving a very big problem additionally she has a core competency in this field the only difference is now she's doing it on her own she didn't go out and start a digital company or try to go online and sell stuffed animals or something like that so if you're in the process of thinking about going to business for yourself you know you want to be an entrepreneur but you don't know quite what you want to do Don't think about the passion thing, what makes you happy. Think about what other people need, what makes them happy, what your customer needs. That's where you want to place yourself. And that's exactly what Erin has done. She saw a problem. Her grandfather was not getting his teeth serviced properly in an adult care facility. She went in to take care of him, but she soon found out that a lot of other people were dealing with this very same problem. Not surprising, but... A business grew from this. So, again, if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, always think about how you can make someone's life easier, and your prospects for success will be much greater. Well, Nick Licata has joined us, and hi, Nick. I gave you an introduction several minutes ago, and uh, it's very extensive. I suggested that people Google your name if they want to find out in depth even more than I described about you. But I talked about your 18 years on the Seattle City Council, and you voluntarily stepped aside, but certainly did not step aside from being an active citizen, and you continue to do that. And that's what we have you on the show for today. Uh, all right.
0: Thank you very much for having me on your show. I look forward to talking to you.
1: You bet. Uh, let's get uh, right to it. I talked about some of the steps that you were uh, advocating in becoming a citizen activist, and, and you were you have about seven. I wanted to get into that. But first of all, Nick, how do you define what an activist is? What 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 is a citizen activist?
0: Well, I think, uh, first of all, you know, when you use the word activist, it's in some ways sort of a loaded term. Either people ascribe a certain sort of uh, important, some people self-important, to either calling themselves an activist or calling someone else an activist. I define it actually as the potential to make changes, and I primarily define it changes in how our lives are ruled. So basically we're talking about generally government rules and regulations, but it could apply to your place of employment as well or, or an organization that you're in. And so it's always like the potential to to actually get your hands on, on the levers of, of power at any level and accomplish something that you want to accomplish to make your life or your friend's life better. So it doesn't have to, you have to be a superhero. You don't have to devote, you know, 724 to involved in, in, in issues. It's knowing you have the potential to be involved. And what I emphasize in, in my book, Becoming a Citizen Activist, is knowing how to be effective in doing it, how to to use your time efficiently, and how to work with others.
1: Do you have an example or examples of, let's say, the seven steps? Again, we haven't got into them yet, but we will. But anyhow, in, in being so much involved like you have been over the years, that of a great way that you approach something and there was maybe an issue or that you got involved in, that had a really happy ending, I guess, and went very well and, and and did what you'd hoped it would do. Is there something that comes to mind?
0: Yeah. Um, again, using my experience on the city council, one one quick example. Um, in, in, in an area that you may not think about, I was very involved in uh, pushing for citizen oversight of our police department and uh, helped um, pass legislation. that created a... Uh, but at that time, it's called OPA, Office of Professional Accountability. That basically was a citizen oversight group, and the police guild, which is their equivalent of a police union, were opposed to it. And um, I, and one of the things I emphasize in my seven steps is learning to listen to the opposition and learning to wh- what they want and using that using that desire of what they want to get what you want, or at least to. Um, get them to recognize that change is not bad. So in the situation of the police, um, I suggested that we do a survey of the police officers and ask them what they liked or didn't like about citizen oversight. And the funny thing is, is that the police chief was opposed to it. And But I was able to use that to my advantage because then I went to the police union, who had always been running candidates against me. And I said, look, I want to get your advice. I want to poll all of your police officers and find out what they think about citizen oversight now, i'm not afraid of, of what they think and maybe we can you know change it in some ways to make it more accountable and and then i said and the police chief though was opposed to it he doesn't your, want your, your thoughts and that really got me. i said well we want you our thought really give you our thoughts so uh i went back to the police chief i said the police are behind it and he gave he caved in so we did the survey we brought in people from college professors who did it professionally and what we found out was the police officers, you know, they had a lot of grumbling complaints, but they also said we just want more information. We want to know, like, what's the process like? How long is it going to take? And we'd be open to more mediation. Um, and so we, we were able to introduce a, a mediation program, and also were able to increase the information both to the people who filed the complaint, who had the same some complaints that they did about not knowing what's going on, to the officers. Now, obviously going forward there's always going to be problems in executing the powers of the police but this was one way where we made some progress and i think that's what being an activist is about is recognizing that you you can make some progress and you have to go back the next day or the next week and continue to work on it
1: well you know it's interesting um i just i got a quote today i pulled out and it kind of goes along with what i think you just said there and it came from winston churchill success is not final failure is not fatal and it is the courage to continue that counts I thought that was pretty good I mean yeah. it seems to me that like you persevered on this thing yeah going back and and I, forth.
0: I, right and I, I you know I think if you probably google quotes from any number of people who've been in positions of, of power leaders or people who are just community activists I think they'll, they'll come back to some common themes which learning to listen learning to that you're not going to have success overnight. In fact, that was one of the primary points that Saul Alinsky said in in his book, Rules for Radicals, is, you know, you're not going to change the world overnight. You have to accept where people are at at that moment, but listen to them and learn to work with them. One of the major mistakes I think that politicians make, and people who think of themselves as activists, is they think they have all the solutions, and they don't. Um, They may have good ideas you share them, But they also need to to listen to what uh, the people that they're working with or want to work with, what their ideas are, and how they can work together. So listening uh, is a critical first step.
1: We could all do more of that, definitely. Uh, You know, you have these seven steps, which when I get to, and I also want to mention your book right now, Becoming a Citizen Activist, Stories, Strategies, and Advice for Changing Our World by Nick Licata. And uh, can you get this on Amazon?
0: Oh, yes, right. Okay. It's definitely on Amazon. Barnes & Noble uh, also has it, I believe. And uh, the big big bookstores, Elliott uh, Bay.
1: Okay. For, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's out there and because we got like five minutes to go. And I want to make sure because sometimes I'll get to the end. I'll say, oh, we got to go. So when I look <laughs> at these seven steps, I can go all the way through them. But you know the ones that are really important they are all important. I'm not saying that. But if there are a couple you want to pull out, uh, I appreciate your guidance on that. But the first one I just want to mention, I think, is you have to get this out because I think it's so – it says it all. When it says, complaining is therapeutic, not an action plan. We're all doing a lot of complaining about Seattle right now, but you point out, not an action plan.
0: Exactly. Right. And I – you know – you. You identify a problem, you identify what you think the solution should be. Those are critical steps. And then also, when you approach either a a community group or you approach a politician, you don't just want to say, hey, I've identified this problem, it's really horrible, and you sit around just talking about the problem. You need to talk about the solution, and you need to have a plan on how you implement the solution, and you need to think about a timeline, so it's not going to happen overnight. And you need to think about the steps that you can take. And as I point out, one of the other the rules is you have to know how government works because no matter how radical someone is or how much change they want, it all comes down to the rules that we all live by in the world we live in, right? And ultimately, you want to change the rules, you want to, whether they're tax rules or their police rules or their zoning rules, you know, and draw on paper. And so. You have to understand the process to change those rules on paper. That means working with people. Um, So anyhow, yeah.
1: How about building momentum and finding allies? This takes some time, I would imagine.
0: It does take time, but one of the other things that sort of complements it is you've got to have fun. Um, And you have to enjoy what you're doing as well. I think that one of the reasons I actually survived 18 years on the council was um, I actually enjoyed – being on the console. People would often say, Oh, that's really hard work. Yeah, it's hard, but it's like if you're a musician or an artist or an author or anything that you're doing. Um, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's it makes it a lot easier. And also other people want to join in with you. So the part of the process is basically keeping the momentum, knowing you're not gonna be overnight, but also enjoying the journey. It's like hiking, you know, you don't have to go to the top of the mountain every time you go out hiking. You can just enjoy walking in the woods.
1: One of your seven points has that. Celebrate every win, no matter how small.
0: People sometimes look for failures when they're ignoring wins. And also, one of the problems I think we all make is that we think a failure is final or a win is final. Neither is final. One of the things I, I, I point out is that, you know, if you... And I found in the city government, for instance, we passed a minimum wage bill, and we also had paid sick leave. Those are great wins, but you know, they don't last forever. You have to make sure that they're enforced. We had to create an office with labor standards. We have to make sure there's tracking. We have to make sure that you go out and people understand what, what their rights are. You have to make sure that they're enforced so that you understand if, if businesses do not follow them, they'll be fined. or we'll at least educate them so that this way the next time they do it. Uh, the wrong thing, then they will be fined. So it's an ongoing process.
1: Yeah, execution's important here. Yeah, I like one of your other points. I like them all, but this one jumps out too, and that is believe in democracy.
0: Well, that's yeah. That was, I think, one of my final points, which is that you know the the greatest threat to all of us, I believe, is cynicism. I was speaking before, whether or not a I uh, think it was a fifth grade class. I was surprised I was invited to speak to a lot of public places, but this was the youngest crowd I ever had, and I. And so I said to them, what's the biggest thing? What's the, what's the thing that stops you from getting what you want more than anything else? And I was expecting them to say the parents or the teachers or their siblings. And one girl, who was the first one to speak up because they were all quiet for a while, said, it's yourself. And that's what it comes down to. The biggest hurdle I think we all have to overcome is our own self-doubt, or our own self-doubt that sometimes expresses itself in sarcasm or sometimes expresses itself in I can't do anything anyhow because all the other people are, are controlling my life, not me.
1: Well, Nick, I know you know this, but uh, these interviews go fast. You've been doing this for a long time, and we are out of time. So uh, have you back. I'd like to expand on this uh, further. We've been talking to Nick Licata, and he's the author of a book called Becoming a Citizen Activist, Stories, Strategies, and Advice for Changing the World. Thank you, Nick, for being here on Voices of Experience. Until next time.
0: Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. You
1: bet. Take care. Well, that's it. We're out of time for this edition of Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. And again, if you'd like to give me a call about anything relating to the show, my phone number is 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week.